0: Welcome back to another episode of the Equity Matters Podcast. This is your host, jb 3 And today we are talking about equity and consulting. And why is this important, especially right now? I would say 2020 has revealed in many ways the cracks in our social infrastructure, whether we're talking about COVID-19, if we're talking about racial unrest, and we're positioning organizations to play a role in addressing inequities. Now, if this is something that is new for an organization, they don't have the capacity or the bandwidth to figure it out themselves. And so it's important to identify subject matter experts who are equipped to handle the difficult conversations or have seen what it's like to apply an equity lens to their strategies. And so today we are hearing from Maso Kalima, who's going to share with us a little bit about her journey when it comes to consulting, when it comes to equity, and how it's been a benefit to organizations as they try to adopt an equity lens to their work. So Maso, would you like to introduce yourself to the folks listening?
1: Absolutely, and thank you for the introduction. Um, So my name is Maso Kalima. I'm originally from Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, by way of Uganda, so I have roots in Uganda. My family is originally from there, as well as I have family that is from Virginia. Um, I always start with that as my introduction, one, because I think home and place matters, number one, and and two, because it definitely has shaped a lot of like, what brings me to this work? What brings me um, to doing equity work? Uh, which it makes me think of the earlier conversation around diversity, but in particular, you'll hear me, hear me emphasize equity for that reason, um, as well as kind of where does my passion lie? Why, why does this matter? Why do, I think this, why do I think that this is actually the catalyst for how we transform communities, transform um, outcomes and some of the social determinants that I think we talk about more broadly? Uh, so currently, I am the CEO and founder of AYA Consulting Firm, and we are, uh, well, we're more broadly a consulting firm which looks at how do we actualize equity in a way that I think oftentimes we, we talk about DEI um, as this, this theory, right, this theory of yep, it would be great if one day we could get to this, aspirationally, if we could get to um, being more diverse, being more equitable, being more inclusive. And the work that I do is actually working with organizations to say, how do we actualize that and move from a place of equity being a theory to something being actionable in policy and practice. Um, And I I also have a background in education and in STEM fields and environmental science. uh, and, And my research really, is at the intersection of critical consciousness, critical race theory, uh, political science, and education.
0: So shout out to the small business owners. Um, right. <laughs> during the uh, the the peak of the pandemic, I was actually placed on furlough and I started freaking out. It was like, okay, I need to have a backup plan. And so I became one of those people like on Twitter that are like all about the LLC. And so <laughs> that that was me. And that's actually kind of how the podcast really picked up so shout out to you for doing what you need to do out there.
1: Thank you, so you joined LLC Twitter.
0: Yeah, yeah. i I'm a, proud member. <laughs> um, so what brought you to this point in your career? What really made the the switch flip for, you know, I need to consult and then I need to assist organizations?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it, it starts with what, what home was for me. So I grew up in Minneapolis, Minnesota, um, where I think Fast forwarding to 2020 and George Floyd, a a lot of people, there was a little bit of a question mark around why Minnesota had the reaction that it did and why it was kind of um, a catalyst for kind of the the way that we are seeing the civil discourse, um, the way that we are seeing people actually uplift and use their voice in this season. Um, And I I was born and raised in in Minneapolis, Minnesota, specifically Blaine, Minnesota, which is a small predominantly white suburb um, of Minneapolis. And I say that to say that I experienced the inequity, I experienced what it looked like for there to be different outcomes um, based off of not even just where you live, but based off the color of your skin, based off of your background, based off of socioeconomic level, based off of gender, all of these different social identities that um, as a Black woman, I think come together in this perfect storm to really um, be a social determinant of what you have access to, what opportunities you have access to, and what you also don't. And for me, I was able to see like, how is that actually living out? Not only in the experience that I had as as a little girl within my own education, within my own experience, but also the experience that I was seeing my peers and people that look like me have, that I was seeing family members have, that I was seeing um, cousins have that were similar backgrounds, but maybe in in a different community. Um, that didn't have the same access, maybe had a, a different access point as far as parents and what their influence was or what their what ability they had to actually give you that was access to what you should have got within the education system. Uh, so I, I saw education as being one of the major catalysts for not only equity, um, but overarching consciousness and liberation. So for me, I see education as being the catalyst towards Liberation. It's not the only way right when we look at systems, they all work together, but it is one that I have found, I think, is the most consistent oftentimes when we talk about inequity, it lives in our uh, Unconscious biases as well as our implicit biases and without the education to really get conscious to what those are. And to be clear, some people have consciousness and still choose the latter right because it, it benefits um when we're in a westernized society and a society that centers dominant culture and centers whiteness and it is saying that for many of us we're not actually present to how we are active participants in upholding the same culture that we actually speak against and upholding the same systems that we speak against Um, so my my background uh was actually with teach for america so i came to north carolina through a program called teach for america where educational equity organization and uh, when I was with them, I actually taught STEM, taught science in rural North Carolina. And one of the things that I saw is some of the same social determinants that I saw in Minneapolis, which is more of an urban setting than rural North Carolina, um, was it, it might have been clothed differently, but it was intrinsically the same. It was intrinsically the same, um, except the the social determinants that we're finding is like race was still um, the thing that was still. The, the constant within all of that. And I say that to say that there are certain spaces that I've seen, and some of my work, um, I've been fortunate enough has taken me abroad. So I've been able to look at systems in Bangladesh, been able to look at systems um, in Kenya and South Africa. And the thing that we're finding when we talk about equity is that the, it, it can change as far as what it looks like. It can change within the way that uh, inequity is veiled within your systems and structures, but it is the ever present thing. So for me, it's how do we equip people? Because institutions are made of people. Structures and systems are made of people. They are made um, of collectives, of groups, of communities. So how do we equip people and communities and groups and organizations in a way that they can actually disrupt that same cycle that's been built? But I think when we, when we talk about um, inequity, we talk about it as a fixed thing that we aren't active participants in. And this is actually saying, nope, We are active participants within that, so what do I actually do to be also a part of that disruption of that cycle?
0: I think in many ways, whether subconsciously or consciously, we do perpetuate inequity, right? The way that we design our policies, the things that we do and we interact with other people, and the way that our institutions interact with each other, in many ways we replicate, we amplify and exacerbate inequities. And I think it's hard for people to realize that or to acknowledge it because they tend to think of it really on like the one-on-one scale. And they think of it as it's, this isn't me doing anything. I'm just doing my job. But what we know even about institutional racism, it doesn't require a person to facilitate it. It happens on its own. And so there's, oh, go ahead.
1: No, 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 keep going.
0: I was just going to say, there's so many things that you've mentioned in, you know, bringing you to this career. Like, I might have to bring you back for like three more episodes to talk about your international experience as well.
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that that's the thing, right? Exactly what you said. It is pervasive enough that it exists and upholds on its own. Um, And what that means is in order to create a model of a world that looks different than one that is seeped in inequity, that is seeped in oppression, um, that is seeped in marginalization, it's going to also take that same level of intention to deconstruct and dismantle that. So I think oftentimes when we talk about it, like it's this thing out here, it's the system. It's like, yeah, I hear you. And we are actively upholding. So in the same way that systems are built, in the same way that institutions are ran by people, institutions then interact with other institutions and structures to create what we now have, which is this large systemic mess, and that's what it is. Uh, But it is absolutely by design. And I think that is clear because that means that there also can then be a design to dismantle and to deconstruct that.
0: So what kind of organizations are you consulting with?
1: Yeah, so I, uh, yeah, so I've, I've had the privilege of consulting with more than a few different ones, I would say, across sectors. Um, so one of them, some energy companies, as well as like some educations, um, institutions, some schools, some nonprofits really across the board, and I think in this season in particular, um, what I am excited about is, is one that we're in a space of understanding how do our different syst- our different systems or our different organizations actually interact with each other, um, and even when they don't, what is my role within it? So whether I am a, a global organization or I'm a smaller nonprofit, we all have a role within this ecosystem, and it's a matter of figuring out what is the role that I have within this ecosystem? What am I responsible for? Um, As well as then, okay, how do I dismantle and deconstruct and get present and get conscious to the way in which inequity um, and power and privilege is moving within my particular system, within my particular organization? So it's definitely spanned. I've worked with um, some districts and some systems as well, but I would say the thing that feels um salient that feels the most salient the most consistent is the through line of understanding for organizations and what is my role within my sector and how does that live beyond what i actually do here at the individual and interpersonal level
0: so i think that segues nicely into my next question around like the biggest hurdle that you see for organizations as you're consulting because like we mentioned before it's hard for entities to see themselves as part of the problem when they're jumping to be part of the solution so What are you seeing out there in the field as far as challenges that organizations are facing?
1: Yeah, one of the major things I would say is um, thinking that there is a destination as it relates to the work that is being done. Um, And I always tell my clients there is actually not a destination, right? Um, There's not an endpoint and where you've completely Become conscious 100% of the time. That actually goes against our own human behavior. And there's no way for you to consistently be in a conscious state 100% of the time, which means our socialization, when you are seeped in a system that is oppressive towards people of different marginalized and underrepresented groups, means that you are actually going to be a part of that. So part of your work is continuously learning, continuously unlearning, continuously getting present to, continuously training, continuously reading, continually seeking understanding and divergent perspectives. And I think a lot of times people have it as I can make this statement um, and, and we're good and we're done, right? Um, we'll do this training. We'll do this this one hour, two hour training and we're, we're good. We're, we're equitable. We're diverse. Um, and that is not actually the thing. There is no end point in understanding that we are going, this is a lifelong journey when we talk about Uh, cycles of socialization, the way in which we are socialized in a system, which is not a model of what we're trying to dismantle, because we're actually there's an access point in being able to reimagine and imagine a future or a world that you haven't actually seen. Um, And I think when we look at the uh, not only the social political context, but the historical context, this is not a world that we have seen. So I think for clients, there's a there's a piece of that that can feel almost insurmountable. It can almost feel like a Not what's the point, but it can feel exasperating. Uh, And the thing that I always share is, and and so is years and generations uh, and foundations of inequity and oppression. Um, So is the violence that is felt by people, so are the lives that are lost. All of that is exasperating. All of that is violence. All of that um, is heavy. And so is the work. And so is the commitment that you then are called to do and that people have a responsibility towards doing that work. So, no, I'm a firm believer, you don't, there's no congratulatory end uh, when we do DEI work and equity work, but there is a, a lifelong commitment and a journey that you all can make the commitment to be on together um, and the commitment and responsibility that you are on together as far as where you fit in what your role in that ecosystem of social change is.
0: So what you're saying is once we post the DEI statement and we update our stock photos to be more diverse, we're not done. That's what I'm hearing.
1: You know, I'm, no, I'm saying you haven't started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm saying you have not started. I'm saying that is, that is performative by nature. Um, so, yes, there's power in language. To be clear, there's, there's a lot of power in language and um, how we assert and we affirm what we believe matters, but there's even more power in the actionable steps. There's even more power in actualizing that statement into policies and practices that then exist in the way that your organization runs.
0: So let's talk about that actualization, creating actionable steps. How do you help organizations shape their goals? And me personally, I'm always interested in how do you help them to measure them? Because it's very easy, like we're, we're joking about it here, to make a statement and we we can just check the box and say, oh, now we're diverse. But how do we actually intentionally design goals that we can measure?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, so now I think what I know is so part of the work that I do, the intersection of that critical consciousness work is saying that we have to start with the awareness piece. So we have to start with getting aware to what is my own socialization uh, what is my social identity as well as then what power and privilege does that afford me and do we have shared lexicon do we have a shared understanding of the way in which power and inequity is actually moving within our organization within our company within our school uh, within our collective so it's really starting with the awareness piece because I think the to the point that you made earlier um, we can go to a lot of spaces and say there, there's anti-discriminatory laws that exist, right? So it's not solely just at the institutional level, the policies and practices that you have, because that is upheld by individuals. So having the structures and policies without also doing the work of unlearning, without also doing the critical consciousness work of understanding the critical race theory and how this lives in my life, how does this live in the power that I hold, allows us to uphold that same system. So um, it really is starting with, at, at, at the start, how do we get a shared understanding of like one, the what we're talking about is, how, is I, how do I also do the exploration and the deep dive in myself to understand my own socialization, understand what is my understanding, what, it, what lived experience shapes the way that I interact, what lived experience shapes the way um, that my interpersonal relationships might, might actually manifest in the power that I have and the privilege that I have. Uh, understanding the intersectionality of my own identity, what that affords me and what that doesn't afford me to then understand the actions that I'm that I am actually taking. Uh, I think oftentimes people want to, I, I wanna put a policy in place, but if you wanna put a policy in place without also looking at the foundation in which you built that policy, you are going to build the same process and the same system that you had. So I always think of um, the Audrey Lord quote, but you can't dismantle the house using the master's tools in the same way Uh, without also doing the deep dive and and really starting with that awareness and that analysis, people and organizations are not positioned to begin to make policies and and practices. And then from there, you're able to then create what are the success metrics and what what does accountability look like? So I think that that definitely varies, right, depending on what we're talking about. So we could be looking at hiring practices, we could be looking at retention, we could also be looking at um pipeline talent pipelines we could also be looking at internally how's inequity living which is one thing i see a lot of times with clients is like we're more diverse and our outcomes are not different we're not able to retain diverse talent because diversity is not the thing right Um, equity and justice is the thing because that speaks to fairness that speaks to equity in the way that your policies and practices live so it's not saying that i just want more people that have divergent perspectives than me to be at the table. It's saying, I want to actually break the table in a space where everyone is welcome, everyone is there, everyone's voice has the same weight and everyone else that, and everyone that is there is also taking into perspective the people who are not at the table. We are creating a larger and larger and larger and larger table until we don't have a room anymore.
0: One of the things that I've done, at least when I'm providing TA for organizations, is really starting with that idea of a shared language, because, I have learned very quickly that just because I'm saying equity, you're not hearing equity, or it doesn't look the same in your space. And so could you talk about kind of that introductory conversation and in bringing people to the consciousness that they, there might be a problem?
1: I think it's defying because I think oftentimes people get into this binary um, of good or bad. So people don't enter the conversation fully able to explore where inequity lives um, in your life, because no one wants to be the person to say, you know what, I actually have a bias against people that don't look like me, right? And that bias exists, and we see it in the social determinants, we see that in the outcomes, we see that in, in what's true and what's present in our world, in our society, in our organizations, um, in, our, in our groups. And part of it is understanding first, get rid of the, the dichotomy, get rid of the binary of that there's a good or bad, and get really clear on like what is the responsibility and the commitment that we want to make. And if I have a commitment to something, I am more prone to now do the work of actually aligning my actions. If I feel bad about something, if I sit in that guilt, and and to be clear, part of that is part of um, our own racialized identity development when people are actually getting present to inequity, power and privilege and oppression in some of those things. So that is actually a part of the process as well, but being clear to push past that part. So getting present to and also not absolving yourself as being an active participant. Getting present to and making a commitment towards different and, uh, different and aligned actions is really where we want people to be.
0: So I gotta ask a question on behalf of like LLC Twitter, right, so yeah. what are some of the common challenges that you're seeing as far as DEI entrepreneurship?
1: Ooh, hmm. first off, that's a great question. Um, I think that we're, we're in a season, right, and, and you've named it too, but I think we're definitely in a season in which uh, there are quick fixes and there can be quick fixes um, if that's what people want to take on. And I think for those of us who do equity work uh, and do it with fidelity, we understand that the statement, the policy, the, the quick training, the coming in to speak for, for two minutes Um, isn't actually going to be an active part of dismantling the system and creating a more equitable future. So I think one of the challenges is being really clear and being discerning on your why, being really clear, being really discerning um, on the path forward, being really clear, being really discerning on what your engagement looks like in this season of oversaturation and in this season where, um, if if I speak quite candidly, the organizationally, their people's bottom line is impacted by their ability to perform as being equitable, their ability to make a statement, their ability to show a platform that will actually have the appearance of it. And I think for LLC Twitter and people who do this work and, and do this equity work, we understand that we're not actually in a season of, of being worried about the optics, as much as we are now trying to dismantle and interrogate uh, at the foundational level, how inequity is moving. So one thing I think that's super important is oftentimes people see people can see the violence in in law enforcement when we talk about George Floyd. People can see the violence uh, when we talk about lynching. People can see the violence when we talk about overt uh, examples of what uh, how our dominant culture moves, as well as. Um, what it looks like for inequity to not only live but to to thrive and then be situated as the norm or the standard. But I think we also have to be able to realize um, and recognize our own violence in upholding those same systems which lead to those overt violent acts. So within a boardroom, when I'm sitting in a boardroom that doesn't look like me, when I'm working with a client, um, an organization that is impacting marginalized and underrepresented communities and nobody who sits at the table looks like the community or the people that they are impacting understand that their violence is not relegated um, to just being overt acts. That means that there is a responsibility to help people to understand what does our that our individual violence look like in the way that we uphold systems, which then lead to lives lost. Um, so I, I would say one of the challenges is being super clear in this season I think, uh, yeah, in this season of like, what is your why? What is your path forward? What are you unwavering about?
0: You know, it's it's interesting. My mom knows that I do, like I'm passionate about equity, like it's obvious. Mm -hmm. And she asked me to come talk to her job about diversity. And I'm like, you know, I could do it, but it would be a disservice because the moment I get in there and I start talking about implicit bias because I have a mentor who she starts all of her facilitations with raise your hand if you don't have bias Mm -hmm. and people fall for it and like they raise their hand and it's like "Uh, I got you but (laughs) being able to really call out like there's some practices here and some policies here you look at your organizational chart and you start moving up and you see less and less diversity like not being able to have that conversation in a safe space would be a disservice Mm
1: -hmm. and so
0: she tells me about what her historical diversity training has been and it's gonna it's gonna sound foolish but they made them watch remember the titans there and that was it there was no facilitated dialogue afterwards it was really just let's watch this movie you see coach boone do his thing (laughs) and we're diverse so (laughs) Mm-hmm. I think when you talk about the fidelity of DEI work and DEI efforts and really being committed to it and being able to say, no, I can't do this because you're not really committed to the work, it's going to take a, a huge shift for, for all of us to do that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think to the point that you made, it's also recognizing, okay, we, and this is where I say, like, leveraging coalition and community um, and collective to say, I recognize that there is a need here for you all to be further along. And I might not be the person to do it. And this is something that I definitely, I make sure I'm in the practice of, but I know this great facilitator. I know this great organization uh, that is black owned, that is BIPOC led, that is woman owned, from that, that are coming from traditionally backgrounds that I don't think that we actually fully leverage, especially when we talk about entrepreneurship um, and disparities within entrepreneurship. But then I'm going to make sure that I explicitly leverage someone who was positioned, who was actually proximate to the experience, who can actually do this work to help you all as well. Because what I recognize is like, I, I can say no. And I might say no because you all don't actually align with the vision that I have and how to do this with fidelity. But what I can also recommend to you because I think you all still have responsibility and remember the Titans just simply put is not enough. Uh, (laughs) It's just not, uh, and say like, but here are three other ways that you can do that. And I'd be remiss to not acknowledge that I think oftentimes that this, that that. Emotional labor that actual physical and intellectual labor falls on the black on the backs of black and brown people disproportionately so also being mindful of that. Uh, and being mindful of the ways that that can be exploited in nature with like oh yeah. Uh, you're a person of color come come do this training. No, that's not how it works, but it is saying that like we can actually allocate time and resources and energy in the same way that you would anything else that you care about or that you want to be um, Integrated into your organization enterprise why but here is how you can actually allocate your resources towards achieving this, towards actualizing it. So just wanted to name that piece of like, I might not do it, but here's five people who can, and don't ask them to do it without the proper compensation and don't exploit their, don't exploit their talent. Cause that also is a thing in this world too.
0: Facts. Facts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as we're, we're getting ready to wrap up, I bring up self care all the time though I don't practice it well myself. I'm always interested in how do you keep going, especially when there is a disconnect or a misalignment, if you will, between organizations who claim to be diverse, claim to be inclusive, and they really aren't. You, know, it, it can, you mentioned being, the feeling of being exasperated and frustrated before, but how do you keep going? Because I know at the end of the day, you know, we, we want to get paid, but we also want to make sure that we see the systems changes that are necessary to reduce harm to eliminate inequity so how do you how do you keep going
1: yeah absolutely i think uh because i think the thing is you in my opinion i don't believe that you can be in this work um with any other motivation other than the hard work of really believing that and not, and having a commitment towards being a part of not even the solution because i think a uh, solution speaks to finality right um, in completion, but I think being a part of the commitment and the ecosystem of social change, and actualizing a world that looks very different than one that we've ever seen—one that's existed—in um, disrupting systems which are, are are violent to my very being. So for me, um, I guess when I think about how do I how do I keep going, and where do I position self care? I think we'd be remiss, especially I mean you know you're you're also with an equity work too to not acknowledge that there is an emotional toll there is a spiritual toll in which it takes to continue to do this work uh, in a way that can be frustrating exasperating so be really clear on your why be really clear on your commitment and also be really clear about then what are the things that you actually put in place to make sure that you are positioning yourself to continue this on Um, this is not something there, there is no end point. So it's not something that will be done in our lifetime, but it is saying that there is a continuous commitment. So part of my work is not only going outside and doing a, a training or a session, but it also is how do I pour into myself? What is my own learning and unlearning look like across all uh, social identities? Because we would all be remiss to act like, oh, and, and I mean, this is the thing people, I think often think if if I am someone who does this work, I am positioned to have all the answers to all of the things and I am without implicit or unconscious bias. And that is false. Um, It makes me think of what you share with your friend. We all are still seeped in in a system and and socialized in a system in which we do. So our commitment is to not only continuing to learn and unlearn, but also figuring out and what what does um, intentional, I would say, intentional rejuvenation, intentional rejuvenation, restoration and rest look like one thing that I've gotten really, really clear on is that that is a part of the work and that actually is the antithesis to the way in which um, I think one, being being Black, but two, being a Black woman is the antithesis to the way that we have positioned Black women in our society um, under the, the trope of being the workhorse, under the trope um, of productivity being linked to your worth, what you can produce being linked to how valuable you are in society. So part of my work is, is my self-care. That, that is part of it and part of that self-care is like I mean some of the things humanizing right like humanizing my identity and who I am that means going to watch a movie that means taking a nap that means like investing time in my partnership centering love centering joy um, in ways that I think we talk about as supplemental to the work and to be clear I'm like nope rest is actually a part of the work one uh, page that I love in that ministry I'm not sure if anybody follows them but a plug to them. I think they do a great job uh, of drawing the connection between the, the space of um, I would say equity work and rest and restoration. Uh, and I can't remember it verbatim, uh, but there is a quote by Audrey Lorde that speaks to self-preservation uh, and rest and restoration. And that that's not a luxury. That's not a, a supplement. That is actually a part of the work that I do as someone who's committed to equity but I'm also still getting better because I'm human. So I also like finding the balance because um, I'm an entrepreneur and I also work a full-time job. I work with an organization as well. So also finding the balance between those is definitely um, it's, it's a journey. I, it's, it's not like a, an endpoint that I have figured out, but it is something that I'm like getting truly, truly active on trying to explore and, and be better at.
0: Now I feel that because when I first launched the podcast, it's like, okay, the podcast is cool. Then I added the social media piece and I'm like, I don't want to run social media all day because this is trash. <laughs> and then you know, you've got the the full-time job. I'm also in school, married, got kids. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about taking a nap, I don't do it <laughs> as much as I'd like to, but I'm I'm trying to be initiated to the nap ministry.
1: Yeah. I'm like if, if not a nap, at least six to seven hours of sleep. I'm like, I, I will choose, but Um exactly what you said, like it it, it's a lot. Uh and I oh the the social media thing definitely resonates with me as an entrepreneur, uh as a member of LLC to where I'm like, no, I want to go, I wanna do the work. I don't want to do that piece. And I think the thing that you find, uh, especially as entrepreneurs, is they all work in tandem with each other. And there's an access point in being able to make sure that people are aware of the work that you do and making sure that um you're actually accessible to a more broader audience.
0: Definitely, definitely. So how do people keep up with you, keep up with the work that you're doing, Um, reach out for thought partnership, reach out for services, obviously, where are you and how can they find you?
1: Um, So one, they can go to the website and I know that this this will be linked, but www.ayaconsultingfirm.com. They also can find me on social media, on Facebook, Aya Consulting Firm, um, as well as on Instagram, Aya Consulting Firm. And I'm sure that that will be tagged somewhere cause I, I don't think I, I placed the underscore correctly uh, as well as uh, emailing me directly. Like I love one to be in coalition and conversation and dialogue um, and continuing to be, be in community with other people who are thinking about the same thing who are doing this work um, as well. And I, I think about, um, so AYA is an adinkra symbol from West Africa, which means uh, resourcefulness. It's it's a plant. It's um, the fern, which is a plant that's able to grow in hard um, environments, that's able to thrive in difficult spaces. And I think with the work that we do, that that is what we're doing. And we are still stronger together. We still are more powerful together. We still are, are better equipped when we're better and in coalition. So definitely want people to reach out, know that you are not the, the fern or you are not the person um, in isolation, and know that you have another person who's working alongside you and beside you within this work.
0: Maso, it's been great. I mean, we could probably talk for a lot longer, but I want to make sure people have opportunity to digest what you're saying. They can reach out to you. Is there anything else that you want to drive home for our listeners?
1: Um, no, I think just uh, especially, especially in this season. This season is hard. Um, be clear and, and, and center joy, center love, center your own health and well-being, center your mental health in this season. Um, and just know that you are in coalition with other people. Although we might be physically isolated, you are not uh, spiritually, emotionally isolated from other people doing the work beside you. And just thank you for, for the space and for creating a platform, I think, to elevate the work and to elevate the ways in which people are serving um, and being a part of this movement.
0: I'd like to give a shout out and thanks again, Tommaso, for joining us on the podcast. In many ways, I feel consultants get a bad rep as there's often times where these larger entities find themselves in a the consulting space and aren't passionate about the work and not passionate about the outcomes where they come do a job and leave and based on the conversation that we had today it really stands out that you have to be committed to this work it's not a one-time instance there is no endpoint. it's really a matter of this ongoing learning this commitment to continuous improvement and so i'm glad to hear that there are folks out there who are working in this way. I'd also like to give a quick note that next week's episode is going to be similar. We're, we're still having these conversations between equity and entrepreneurship. I think of it in my head as the Entrepreneurs in Equity series, but there's two episodes, so I, I didn't want to give it the whole series moniker. I'd also like to invite you to follow us on the Equity Matters podcast page on Instagram. That's at Equity Matters Podcast please follow us there. We spend a lot of time building community. You know, we put out posts where we're looking to get feedback from folks. How do we improve the podcast? How do we make sure that you're seeing things that you enjoy? Or how do we hear from voices that we're not hearing currently? And so please join us over there. I've got a few announcements forthcoming. So stay tuned for those as well. A lot of exciting things in store for 2021. Just be on the lookout. And as always, equity matters.